Hi, I'm Mark Rotterman. Coming up, President Biden orders a study on expanding the Supreme Court. We'll get the latest from the General Assembly. And teacher pay in North Carolina is second best in the Southeast. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the lightning round provided by NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. It's Front Row with host Mark Rotterman. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with John Locke Foundation, Donna King, Editor-in-Chief of Carolina Journal, Nelson Dollar, Senior Advisor to the North Carolina Speaker of the House, and Asher Hildebrand with the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. Mitch, why don't we begin with Biden's commission on the Supreme Court, my friend. Since 1869, the U.S. Supreme Court has had nine members, nine justices, and there hasn't been any serious talk about changing that number since President Franklin Roosevelt's ill-fated court packing plan back during the New Deal era. But this idea of adding justices to the Supreme Court really took hold when Amy Coney Barrett replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court, giving conservatives either a 6-3 or 5-4 majority, depending on how you count Chief Justice John Roberts. Now, candidate Joe Biden, during the last presidential election, didn't commit to this idea of court packing, but he would say that he would look into it. Now, President Biden has set up by executive order a 36-member commission that's going to be looking into key Supreme Court issues, among them the potential of adding seats, also placing term limits on what is now a lifetime appointment. This group is supposed to take six months to look into this issue, hold public meetings, and then come out with a report. Meanwhile, some Democratic members of Congress aren't waiting. They've already put forward a bill that would add four new justices to the Supreme Court, presumably giving progressives a chance to counteract the conservative leaders on the Supreme Court now. Nelson, in the past, the president has said when he was a senator, this was a bonehead idea. I think he said that in 1983. That's right. He was commenting on President Roosevelt's uh, right to pack the Supreme Court, but he did say it was a bonehead idea. And he further went on to say it was a terrible, terrible mistake to make, and it put in question for an entire generation the independence of the most significant body of the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, before she passed away and on occasions before that spoke out against court packing. Uh, you recently had Justice Sotomayor and Justice Gorsuch talking about that we should not make um, uh, political decisions uh, with respect to the construction of the Supreme Court. And then last week in a speech at Harvard Law School, Justice Stephen Breyer argued that efforts to expand the number of seats on the Supreme Court would erode public trust and quote, the court is guided by legal principle not politics. So, and you've even had uh, former uh, majority leader uh, Harry Reid come out and say that it was a very questionable idea. The adults in the room are speaking up now and uh, calling for caution in terms of expanding the court. Asher, will Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi, bring this uh, legislation to the floor to this proposed legislation? Uh, 
as of now, uh, she she's expressed a pretty cool attitude towards it. But both her and the Senate leader uh, and the president uh, want more information, want more facts. And that's exactly what this commission would do. This isn't just about the partisan composition of the court. It's also about the legitimacy of the court. And if you look at the way the last three nominations have been handled, you know, public trust in the institution is already damaged. Uh, and the views of the majority of the court are increasingly out of step with the views of the majority of the American public. And so this is an idea that, that merits discussion, uh, but as of right now, don't expect it on the floor anytime soon. Donna, do you agree with that? And don't when people put commissions together, isn't that where an idea goes to die? Well, often it does, and sometimes it's, you know, a nod to their base to try and say, look, I'm going to do something about this. But you also got to look at this commission and hope that they are really looking for a variety of opinions and lots of ideas. But the two chairs of it uh, both worked for the Obama administration. One was White House counsel. One was deputy attorney general. So the idea that they might be bringing in a wide range of ideas and thoughts on the matter may not really be happening. But I also think at the end of the day, this is not up to um, President Biden. This is up to the Senate. He's going to... Uh, He's going to really face a huge fight because there is not a wide uh, consensus of approval for something like this. Okay, I want to change topic and move to the General Assembly's Wick Nelson. Uh, yes, Mark. Normally, uh, the week of April 15th is tax week. That has been extended to May 17th. And the General Assembly moved legislation this week to forgive uh, any interest that would be owed by tax filers uh, for that additional month delay. Uh, more importantly, the House passed uh, HB uh, 334, and that was bipartisan legislation to forego taxing uh, forgiven business loans from the Paycheck Protection Program. So this would save over 200,000 businesses, small businesses, mostly in North Carolina, some $400 million in state taxes. Uh, you also saw action this week on HB 32, the uh, quality, uh, Equity and Opportunity Act, uh, which reforms the Opportunity Scholarship Program, making it more accessible uh, to low-income students uh, for scholarships to the schools of their choice. And uh, one other bill that passed both the House and the Senate and will be signed by the governor is um, uh, uh, the Wounded Heroes Day. Uh, April the 24th will be designated annually as Wounded Heroes Day to honor those who have bravely uh, served and sacrificed uh, for our country. Donna, what have you been following this week? So one thing that really got my attention this week on Thursday, Senators Raven, Daniel, and Newton filed the Taxpa Taxpayer Bill of Rights. Uh, this would be a constitutional amendment that would really put in, it would codify that fiscal restraint, that fiscal management uh, style plan that we strategy that we've seen for the last 10 years since Republicans have uh, taken control of the General Assembly. When Republicans took control, they really pushed this idea of lower taxes, restrained spending, building up a rainy day fund. And that strategy has really gotten us through a couple of hurricanes and a pandemic. So I think what they're seeing is that 2020 was a real wake up call and they want to see that strategy become financial strategy become uh, the the way that North Carolina operates far into the future, no matter whether Republicans are in office or whether Democrats control. Uh, this taxpayer bill of rights would require any tax increase to go before a public vote. Uh, about 30 states already have this. Colorado instituted okay. it about 30 years ago. Uh, so I'll be really curious to see the kind of support it gets. Asher, weigh in here, please. 
the thing I'm following this week is not actually in the General Assembly, but down the street where the uh, implementing legislation for uh, the voter ID requirement that uh, was approved in 2018 is back in court. Uh, this has been now nearly a decade ride for the, in the uh, courts for this question of voter ID. Uh, I thought uh, the plaintiffs made a compelling case that the latest implementing legislation doesn't go far enough to protect voting rights, but that's up to the judges to decide ultimately. Mitch, put this in context, please. Well, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights is a big deal. It lost some of its oomph timing-wise, given the fact that the, the tax bills had been delayed. April 15th was the day it was filed, which was the day uh, people would normally be following tax issues. The other thing that's of interest, we've talked on this program before about the Program Evaluation Division being shut down and legislators taking more of a hands-on oversight role. They've started that this week, taking a look at the organization that runs high school sports in North Carolina. Okay, Donna, any final thoughts? I think that what we're really seeing is uh, this movement toward everybody trying to uh, really weighing and, and considering what's going to happen in the budget cycle. I think everybody's sort of watching it. Uh, we, of course, saw Governor Cooper come through with uh, his budget priorities, and they're hoping everybody can come to the table. Um, but, you know, it'll, it'll be uh, a session that'll last into July, and then, of course, this fall we have redistricting. Okay. So uh, it's a little bit of excitement going on around the General Assembly. I'm coming right back to you. Let's talk about teacher pay in North Carolina. Some good news on that front. It, uh, it is good news for a lot of teachers. The North Carolina Department of Public Instruction came out with their data that said that the average teacher pay is just over $53,000 a year. Uh, now, of course, some teachers may say, well, I'm not making that. But what that really is is you have a base from the state, and then there's county supplements. Only about four counties don't have a county supplement. For example, Wake County, where the capital is, uh, there's one of the highest county supplements. About half teachers, half of the teachers in Wake County make that average. Um, so that is good news. It puts North Carolina second in the southeast, about 29th, 30th uh, in the country. Um, and I think that we're going to see more of that. There's been a huge push over the last, say, five or six years um, by the General Assembly to raise that teacher pay. It's been raised about an average of um, $10,000. Uh, the average teacher pay grew about $10,000 over the last five years. Now, whether we've got another battle coming up is hard to say. Governor Cooper, of course, they didn't get a raise last year because he vetoed the budget, the state budget. So now he wants uh, a 10% raise for teachers. Not sure that'll make it through the budget process. Um, so we may be headed toward another standoff of, about that. And I know that teachers are going to be watching it closely. But so are parents. Kids have been out of school for a year now, and they're really struggling. So, you know, this is a, a, an odd time to be trying to decide what to do with compensation. Nelson, what's the likelihood of a 10 percent uh, pay increase for teachers this session? Well, I think that the General Assembly is going to go back and look at the offer that uh, they had on the table to to um, override the veto last time, which was 4.9 percent increase plus a thousand dollar bonus. Uh, for for teachers, and I do think that uh, folks need to come to the table. Uh, they they need to understand. Uh, this goes back to what Donna was talking about before in terms of responsibility. In North Carolina, we've controlled our spending. Uh, we've been prudent, and that way, we never had to furlough any teachers in North Carolina, unlike a lot of other states last year. And we've also been able to, um, you know, make sure that we held the school systems harmless. Uh, in terms of the budgeting process. And that's because we've been prudent. We've been moving uh, teacher pay up. We're just behind Georgia. We're looking to catch them. And that's certainly a goal 
of the North Carolina General Assembly. Mitch, does increased teacher pay equate to results in a classroom, you think? It doesn't necessarily. Now, one thing that is important to note is that the classroom teacher is the most important piece of educating the students. So it's important to focus on teacher pay and ensuring that the good teachers are getting pay raises. That's one of the reasons why the General Assembly has been focusing more attention on trying to get increased pay to the teachers who are effective and not just across the board raises, which has been the standard in North Carolina for years and years. I think the other thing that's important about this new number that comes comes out is that it puts the, the idea of teacher pay in context. Everyone says, yes, teachers should be paid more, but oftentimes people don't, don't know what the teachers are being paid. Once you see what an average teacher is being paid, it gives you a better sense of just how much it makes sense to give them more money. Asher, your thoughts, my friend? Look, the fact that we're now uh, back up to second in the Southeast sounds great. Uh, the fact that we're 29th overall uh, in the country, despite having the ninth largest school system, sounds a little less great. And the fact that we were 19th in the country 20 years ago sounds less great still. So I'm not going to be too cynical about this because any progress is good progress. Uh, but uh, you kind of wish we hadn't dug such a deep hole to get out of in the first place. Donna, wrap this up in about 40 seconds. No, I do agree. And we were we really had some struggling economic times. Uh, uh, back in the recession, we ended up having to furlough teachers. And I think that that was a lot of the reason why there was such a dig to come back to the point where we are now, um, you know, with, with total compensation and pension and benefits and all those things. Um, you know, it, it, being in the classroom is an invaluable uh, role in our community. And I think it has to be treasured and it has to be compensated. Uh, and it's something that a lot of folks and parents are, are watching, and I know the General Assembly is focused on it as well. Okay, Ashra, I, I saw a story, and of course, it's part of the president's agenda. He wants to invest heavily in high-speed rail. What would that mean to North Carolina, my friend? Well, it, it could mean a lot to North Carolina, although I was, uh, uh, I must say that one of the most striking things to me about the president's high-speed rail plan is that the uh, American Jobs Act doesn't even use the term. There's about 12,000 words in the proposal, and they don't mention that. I think that reflects some lessons learned from the Obama administration, which made high-speed rail a centerpiece of the Recovery Act and faced something of a political backlash. This time around, there's a lot of money for rail, about $80 billion plus another $85 billion for public transit. And high-speed rail would be eligible for some of that money, but would also go to a lot of not very sexy improvements to our existing rail system. And that could be really good news for North Carolina. Uh, we could see the Raleigh to Richmond corridor completed, which would knock an hour and a half off of the travel time to D.C. and connect the southeast with the northeast rail corridor. We could see, according to Amtrak, a new rail line west to Asheville and east to Wilmington. Uh, we could see expansion of commuter rail, like the uh, system planned for the Triangle. And so uh, the, uh, the one reason we should be optimistic about these uh, improvements in North Carolina is that Congressman David Price, uh, who chairs the Transportation— And uh, your former boss. My former boss, who chairs the Transportation Appropriations Subcommittee, has been really uh, closely involved in the infrastructure discussions. He was at the White House this week with a bipartisan group of senators and representatives to try to chart a path forward for it. Okay. So I, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. Mitch, what do critics say about public investment in high-speed rail? 
Well, it's one of the similar statements that they would make about investment in passenger rail at all, and that is you're trying to put a bunch of money into a 19th century technology that isn't really appropriate for the 21st century. I mean, passenger rail has all kinds of built-in limitations, mainly that it doesn't really get people from where they are to where they want to go in a convenient way. You have to go somewhere to catch the train, then once you get to where the train ends up, you've got to get from there to where you actually really want to go, it would be better to try to uh, invest in some solutions that really make sense for the 21st century. We, we've seen uh, major advances in things like Uber and Lyft and finding ways to get people where they want to go in an efficient manner and in a, a way that uh, takes much less money than spending billions of dollars on something that was uh, best used in the 19th century. Mitch, to, uh, to I mean, not Mitch, Nelson, to, to Mitch's point, is it a wise investment of taxpayer dollars, you think? Well, these projects are mammoth. So the $80 billion that um, the Biden administration is talking about, you just look at the California project where they're trying to connect L.A. and San Francisco. It started out at $33 billion. The estimate is now over $100 billion. And their own legislative analysts are saying that the project uh, is going to have to be subsidized in terms of its operations. I mean, most people don't realize, and I actually served on the Virginia-North Carolina High-Speed Rail Compact, uh, so I'm familiar with some of these projects like the S-Line of Richmond uh, to Raleigh, and the speeds on that would not be bullet train speeds. It would be more like 85 miles an hour, which would be nice, but again, uh, there are cost factors there, and most people don't realize the United States has the lowest population density of any of the major industrial countries. So. The Acela works in the Northeast, possibly California, but you see the over budget there. And the Texas Central project, uh, which is a private project okay. from Houston to Dallas, is also uh, having costs uh, go up and questions about uh, eminent domain. Donna, final thoughts in about 30 seconds, please. Sure. Well, I mean, I've taken that Raleigh to Charlotte train to catch a game, and I know that that's a lot of fun, but I just don't know that I see the demand uh, for something like Raleigh to Richmond, because then you're changing, changing trains and you're going Raleigh to Washington. It's, it's, there's not a demand for this. It doesn't seem to be a demand for this. And I think generally a free market economy works. If it's a good investment of resources, then private industry would have gotten involved a long time ago. Okay, let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. For more than a quarter century now, North Carolina has been dealing with this school funding lawsuit with the shorthand name Leandro. There's nothing new or underreported about that. In recent years, there has been a, an attempt among the plaintiffs in the case and the state, the State Board of Education, now the Cooper administration's education folks, to come up with some sort of deal. They hired a San Francisco consultant that came up with this plan that said, hey, to, to meet this constitutional obligation as determined by, by the courts, you have to spend another $8 billion over eight years. Everyone thought that the judge in the case, David Lee, would come in and say, yes, this makes sense, I'm going to order this. but." The most underreported part of the story is Judge David Lee says he's not going to order the General Assembly to spend the money. If that doesn't happen, the plaintiffs don't really get what they want. And what will really happen with this $8 billion study is that it will go into the discussion like every other piece of the budget debate. Donna, underreported, please. Yes, so this week, an uh, audit from State Auditor Beth Wood's office said that the state's Department of Health and Human Services uh, lost track of about um, uh, one, about $12 billion in Medicaid payouts. They uh, looked at, you know, lots and lots of cases, and they said that uh, in a lot of the cases that they 
looked at, there was not uh, a lot of due diligence done, a lot of background checks done on qualifications for the Medicaid payout. Uh, the report blamed the governor's DHHS department, saying it lacked oversight and what it called significant deficiencies in internal control over compliance. Now, Medicaid, of course, is we're talking about trying to expand it, and uh, this audit really shows that there may be some holes in the system that need to be patched before it's addressed. Okay, Nelson, underreported, please, my friend. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris said, in the future, there will be wars fought over water. And Mark, the future is now. The Russia-Ukrainian military buildup is driven in large measure by an ongoing dispute between Kiev, uh, cutting off water to the Crimea. Uh, in Ethiopia, we're also seeing a dispute between G uh, Egypt and the Sudan uh, over a mega dam, uh, the Great Renaissance Dam that's being built. Uh, on the Blue Nile, which is going to have a tremendous impact on their downstream agriculture. And China, of course, is using control of water from the Tibetan Plateau, uh, the Water Tower of Asia, really as political leverage on a dozen major uh, river systems critical to countries from Pakistan and India all the way over to Vietnam. Asher, underreported, my friend. On Wednesday in Washington, the House Judiciary Committee approved H.R. Uh, 40, which would create a study commission uh, to look into the idea of reparations for the descendants of enslaved people. This is the first time in the bill's 30-year history that it's cleared committee. Whether it receives a, four, a floor vote is, is uncertain, but it does reflect a pretty big sea change in public uh, views on reparations. Still only about 35 percent supported, according to a, a morning consult poll from last month. Uh, but that number was in the low single digits 20 years ago. And you've had a number of municipalities from Asheville and Durham to New York City looking at reparations at the local level. So uh, it, it's been uh, just interesting to watch this idea move closer to the mainstream, uh, even if we shouldn't expect a, a final legislation on the floor quite yet. Who are the advocates quickly in the House pushing this? Uh, the, the main sponsor uh, is Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas, but for many years it was the idea of John Conyers, the former representative from Michigan, who was advocating for it. And President Biden also supports the idea of the study commission as well. Okay, Mitch, let's go to the most underreported story of the week, my friend. Who, well, we've done the underreported stories. I think we're for uh, who's up and who's down at this point. Yes. And, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so who's up this week? The number of high-profile candidates who are running for North Carolina's 2022 U.S. Senate seat. Former Governor Pat McCrory used his Charlotte radio station to say he is in the race. And we hear that uh, Congressman Ted Budd and also maybe even Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson are going to run for that seat. So it'll be interesting to watch. My who's down are online impersonators. Now, I'm not talking about people <laughs> who do impressions or people who do parody accounts, but people who actually go online and try to impersonate you for some sort of contractual obligation, try to use your identity. Uh, the House has passed a bill that would make this a felony. The vote was 118 to zero. Is McCrory the establishment candidate in the race, you think, on a Republican side? I would think he would be the establishment candidate, certainly, and he will have a lot of name recognition. If really a bunch of people are involved in this race, that could help him. Donna, who's up and who's down this week? Uh, so I would say up is the number of drug cartels in North Carolina. Uh, local sheriffs uh, and law enforcement are saying that they're seeing an increased number, particularly during COVID. And they say that North Carolina is really ripe for some of this trafficking uh, activity. They say that our highway systems, Quickly. our trucking systems, we have the market in, in large cities, and that's part of the problem. Uh, and they think they're only getting about 1% of the drug activity in North Carolina. Uh, down 
risk perception of the COVID vaccine. Uh, the state released public opinion, and now about 63% uh, of people say that they no longer fear a COVID vaccine, and that's a dramatic uh, change from last month. Okay, Nelson, who's up and who's down this week quickly? Uh, up and out, President Biden announced this week that he is modifying uh, President Trump's policy of ending America's longest war by removing U.S. troops from Afghanistan beginning May 1st and concluding the withdrawal on September 11th. And of course, in those last 20 years, we've had over 23,000 U.S. casualties in, the, in that war. Who's down? New York City. Not only the devastating impact of COVID-19, but also soaring crime rates and also now higher taxes in New York City uh, that are driving high earners and okay. businesses to states like Florida with no income taxes. Asher, who's up and who's down this week, my friend? My down is the counterpoint to Mitch's, and that is uh, U.S. Senate candidate Mark Walker, who was the first Republican in the race, really hoping to, to have some early momentum. He's now got a crowded field that includes some of the uh, biggest names in, in uh, among North Carolina Republicans. Uh, my up is consumer spending, up 10 percent in March in large part because of the latest round of pandemic relief checks and further proof that the economy is now starting to heat up again. Okay, Mitch, headline next week. Earth Day brings new pleas for climate plans that could gut the U.S. and North Carolina economies. Donna, headline next week. I think we're going to see a lot of movement on this taxpayer bill of rights. We're all going to be watching it really closely. Nelson, headline next week, my friend. Senate Foreign Relations Committee passes Bipartisan Strategic Competition Act of 2021 targeting China. China is really becoming a focus now, isn't it? Uh, by, by, it's a bipartisan focus, isn't it? It is a strong bipartisan focus. And you also saw some a high-level delegation uh, from Biden going to Taiwan this week as well. Quickly, Asher, headline next week, quickly. Well, well it was going to be U.S. surpasses 200 million COVID doses administered, but we're going to get there today, so that's now obsolete. Okay, great job, panel. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by NC Realtors. State Employees Association of North Carolina. Mary Louise and John Burris. Reifenberg Construction. Stephen Gleason. And Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.